Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Is your freak on, Brian? Oh, it's on. I need you to check about mine because I'm not sure if it's all the way on. Uh, Did I put this thing on right? Wow. No, because it's on. It should be off. <laughs> I don't uh, know what you're talking I don't know what we're talking about, but <laughs> welcome to Sex and Science Hour. <laughs> yes, indeed. This is our usual start to a show, just saying something crazy. This is episode seven of season two, right? Is it episode seven? Yeah. Can you it's believe amazing. that? It's like the, that the means... Force Awakens or the Sex Awakens. I don't know. Yeah, something like that. I really like that. And, you know... Um, That's what I'm going to title it, The Sex Awakens. Of course we've gotten to this point because both of us, Brian, you know, we're very conscientious and we're very, we take ourselves very seriously. Very seriously. In fact, you might even say that we're type A overachieving personalities. Would you agree with that? I've been called that Would in the past. Would you call yourself a type A? Um, I, I refuse to put labels upon myself. No, oh, I'm kidding. Yeah, right. You la- <laughs> that you've just puts me so in the non-labeler category. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you've labeled yourself a non-labeler. I, I've, I've been called a type A. I'll say that. I have definitely been called a type A, and I went to medical school, and even those people called me a type A. Yeah, then <laughs> the you're- fellow medical students. You're, so. you're a type A. <laughs> of course, my blood type is O negative, but whatever. Well, now you're just giving out way too much personal information. What right. is Google going to do with that? Right. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> but I also learned while I was in med school what where the origin of the term type A comes from. And you know what? It was told to me by a cardiologist- and actually, it was it comes from this book that was written by a doctor. And basically, uh, the book was published in the 1970s, and it was called Type A Behavior and Your Heart. And then it was had an update in 1996 called Type A Behavior, Its Diagnosis and Treatment uh, by a cardiologist, Dr. Meyer Friedman. And he's actually coined this term, Type A, which is basically just... It really says more about stress levels than like there's two personality types. One is relaxed, that's type B, and one is high strung and always anxious and nervous and stressed out, and that's type A. Nah. And type A is more likely to have heart attacks and stuff. This, this reminds me of the old saying, you know, there's only 10 kinds of people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry. Is got... that like a binary yes, thing? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> See, you're lucky I was ner- nerdy enough to get that. That's right. Which is actually just saying there's only two kinds of people, but right. I, I don't. I One and zero. That paradigm is usually false. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Usually when there's only two choices, it's never really as simple as that. But he didn't say like there's two types, type A and type B. He said type A behavior and your heart, which means that anybody could be could el- have elements of type A behavior mm-hmm. and it could affect their cardiac risk factors. And that's absolutely true. I mean, stress is one of the biggest and also most overlooked aspects of our health. Absolutely. I've really been internalizing that lesson lately because man, I was having a particularly stressful period and even though I've even though I've quit my stressful job and I work for myself, I have my own business now. It just comes with kind of a different set of stresses. Yeah. Now I have voiceover deadlines and things like that. And now I have, you know, clients and I'm worried about keeping them all happy and things like that. And I love my job and I love my clients. I'm so grateful for them. But, you know, everything has its own set of stresses and you're, there's always little stresses in life. And sure. just recently, I was having a particularly stressful period and I happened to get a voiceover project that I was working on. Uh, that was all about just exactly that. 
stress and how it raises your levels of cortisol, which is sometimes called the stress hormone, and it affects your blood pressure and your blood sugar and diabetes and heart disease and all this health stuff. And if we can decrease our stress, it can actually benefit literally any type of health condition. Mm. Every health condition, every health problem is made worse by stress. Absolutely. So it is a really important thing to pay attention to. But I thought of that. I, I was thinking about all this when I saw this article called Type A Personalities Are Overachieving Monsters. <laughs> this is by Emma Brock. Overachieving Monsters? Yeah. I'm a monster? <laughs> well, this, this author thinks that type A isn't a type. It's the ultimate humble brag. She says, get out of my spin class and back to banking. And she's basically complaining. Here, I'll, I'm going to read you a little bit of this. All right. Uh, one of the things you get used to when you live in New York is encountering a large number of people who preface their statements with this phrase. I'm a type A personality, so... Yeah. In, in the last couple of weeks, I've heard this phrase used by an American woman in the final stages of pregnancy discussing her birth goals, <laughs> a British woman discussing the difficulties she'd been having with the help, and a website devoted exclusively to, quote, alpha parents. <laughs> which alpha I, parents. Which I gather means parents who think very highly of themselves. Yeah. Whatever the context, using the words I'm type A is often a prelude to some form of con conversational douchebaggery. <laughs> People identifying as type A in these circumstances use the term as a synonym for success. Type A in common parlance is an advertisement for the self along the lines of, hey, I may be a bit maddening at times, but it's only because I have higher standards than you. <laughs> Anyone who objects to the way of the tape Anyone who objects to the way of the type A is merely displaying her position further down the evolutionary chain. <laughs> now, you know. So, uni let me read one more. All right, yeah, keep going. So universal is this interpretation of type A that it's become a principle of marketing. The New York Times just ran a story about Unplug, a new meditation franchise that's opened in L.A., specifically offering, quote, meditation for type A personalities and <laughs> brace yourselves, a soul cycle for meditation. Unplugged may be brilliant, but this particular sales spin is bonkers. Meditation seeks to dismantle the very hierarchies and categories of achievement upon which this pitch relies. Soul Cycle, on the other hand, is about reinforcing those categories by pretending the stationary bike you're on is a mountain that you're conquering, a mountain probably made out of cash and the skulls of type B personalities. <laughs> <laughs> The funny thing is, this is not at all how the ty term type A was initially intended to be used. It first reached the mainstream, as we just said a minute ago, in a 1974 book called Type A Behavior and Your Heart and its 1996 follow-up, Type A Behavior, Its Diagnosis and Treatment. These books were written not by a psychologist, but by a cardiologist, Dr. Meyer Friedman, who described the Type A category in mostly negative terms as a group of angry, thoughtless people whose behavior put them at heightened risk of a heart attack. You know who else was Type A in this schema? Hitler. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, since then, the meaning of type A has been appropriated by monsters of overachievement, or at least politely self-conscious entitlement. For those who so actively use the term, type A is made to do a lot of work in a sentence, pulling off a kind of sleight of hand that reconstitutes rudeness or bad behavior as the inevitable side effect of ambition. Type A's in this context send food back in restaurants, yell at cab drivers, and bully their personal assistants with the impunity of those on a plane so much higher than the rest of us. It's not even their fault. I mean, what do you want from them? They're type A's. As a clinical diagnosis, it's the ultimate humble brag. What do you think about that, Brian? Do you uh, think that people who call themselves type A's are just making excuses for being assholes, essentially? Okay, well, so I... I was very clear to say earlier when you asked me, "Am I? do I think I'm a type A? I yeah. said, people have called me that. Oh, you weren't calling yourself that. Because yeah. I agree, it can come off <laughs> as a brag. And in fact, I've known a lot of people in my life that use that argument saying that they're type A's. They're not type A's. Like they're, they're literally, it was amazing if they got out of bed. And I mean that in a very literal Aww, sense. Yeah. Okay. Um. Like, like these it's just not true, you know, based upon these, the, the, the accepted conventional definitions, um, of the term. So, yeah, I think there's some truth to it that, that, that people that say that they're type A and all of that, I, yeah, I feel like they're trying to say something. Do you feel put off by that? Do you, you, very, so, you so you think there's an ulterior meaning behind what there's when they, when someone says, Oh, I'm a type A, you think there is some uh, context behind that? 
in yeah. his connotations to you. Yeah, I think sometimes these these things get used like, oh, I'm. It's like a Myers Briggs test. Oh yeah. It's like, oh well, I'm INTJ. Well, I I'm INTJ, but so the fuck what? You Every know? libertarian is an INTJ. Oh shit, we said the L word. Yeah, whoops. Every lesbian is a. <laughs> just kidding. Um. But like when people like do that, I I don't know. It, it just rubs me totally wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think it says more about the culture mm-hmm. that we associate anger and being an asshole with being successful. than anything else. You know, I don't really think it's the fault of the people who label themselves that. They're just reflecting the the values of the culture. So I don't know what the point of all that was, but I just thought it was kind of interesting. So maybe we could all stand to be a little bit more, uh, value things like sleep and relaxation and yoga a little bit more and, uh, you know, not not value so much being an angry jerk who's just proud of being an asshole. (laughs) And if you are type A or type B, believe me, your actions are going to show it. You don't need to say it. (laughs) More coming Coming up, Sex and Science Hour. This is Sex and Science Hour. Wow, we're back already. Oh, we're right. so diligent, type A. So, Brian, nice. what's in a voice? I thought this was another really interesting article, and this is uh, kind of about... In your voice is, like, just rampant seduction. Oh, thank yeah. you. This may or may not be, like, native product placement for my voice, actually. Ah, uh, <laughs> this is native advertising. Native advertising, Here it is, yes. smvoice.info. <laughs> Yep, as I mentioned, I am a voice actor. I'm actually a, I'm a former scientist, and I'm also a med school dropout. How about that? <laughs> How about it? it uh, that's type A. Yes, and uh, now I'm a voice actor, and I'm actually a lot happier. I'm glad I made that career change, <laughs> and, and that's why I did it, because I, I wanted to have more of a lifestyle business, and I sort of made the wrong choice going into a high-stress career for me. It wasn't right for me. But anyway, now I do something different, and I'm a voice actor, and I do audiobooks, uh, YouTube videos, phone greetings, pretty much anything you could imagine. A lot of people ask me if I've ever voiced like relaxation or meditation cassettes or not cassettes because those are out out of style like 40 years ago. But uh, yeah, the me- companies still make cassettes. Um, yeah. Recordings, you know. Sure. And I have not so far. But if someone offered me a job to do that, um, I would do it. Of course. Um, I can read anything that has a script and I can bring it to life with yeah, my I think voice you'd be acting great at it. skills. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I would love to do a meditation project, but I really need a script. I can't I can't just make that up myself. So <laughs> um, anyway, there is an article I have here called What's in a Voice? And it's from The Scientist. And it's a scientific sort of analysis. Like the Scientist? Um, yeah, that one. <laughs> The scientist. Yeah, there's only one scientist. There's only one scientist. And yep. it is, this is the it's scientist. The, it's, it's them. Okay, sorry. Please like continue Satoshi. reading. It's amazing. Uh, <laughs> so uh, this is from the scientist. What's in a voice more than you could think or could make use of? And this is about all the subconscious signals that your voice puts off. Ah, uh-huh. Okay. And how people unconsciously perceive them and then gather, glean information about you based on your voice and how you speak. That's interesting. What are the markers? Okay, so this is by Carrie Grenz. Joey Tribbiani, the character from Friends, was onto something with a nod of his head and a cocky half smile. The Friends character's famous how you doing catchphrase intended to lure women epitomized this the attractive traits in male voices, at least according to Yi Shu, who studies speech at University College London. A 2013 study by Shu found that women rated men's voices as most attractive if they had a lower pitch, more breathiness, as opposed to a more pinched or pressed quality, which I think that means kind of nasal or hard. Okay. Breathiness is like this with lots of air in your voice where you're not slamming your vocal cords together, whereas a pinched or pressed quality might might be more like that. <laughs> anyway, okay. more compact formants compact formants. Now, I don't even know what that is, which makes the voice sound deeper. Hmm. Maybe compact formants are like when you... Oh, I'm not even going to try to guess. Anyway, everything reminds us of Joey from Friends, Shu says. (laughs) The results of Shu's study suggest that the context of speech isn't everything. I mean, really, how many women are turned on by the words Joey says? The voice itself carries information about the attractiveness of the speaker. Earlier studies pointed to as much. I'm doing a terrible job narrating this. Earlier, right. stu- earlier studies pointed to as much. Susan Hughes of Albright College in Reading, Pennsylvania, and colleagues reported more than a decade ago that appealing voices correlate with a more V-shaped upper body in men and a more hourglass shape in women. 
So when you have those happy hormones and you have that waist-hip ratio going on, that's like the universal standard of beauty, the golden ratio, it shows in your voice. Wow. These ideal sex-specific body configurations are revealing of the influence of sex hormones that shape features that signal our reproductive maturity and potential, Hughes says via email. Likewise, raters were able to decipher the raters, not like raters of the Lost Ark. Oh, okay. Uh, Raters were able to decipher these sex-specific body configurations of others simply by hearing their voices, she adds, referring to the results of a later study that asked listeners to estimate a speaker's body proportions. So basically, they they took a person a person's voice recording yeah. and said, what do you think this person looks like? Nah. <laughs> how, how broad are their shoulders and how thin is their waist <laughs> based right. on their voice? And they could guess. Now, this is really interesting to me because it seems like um, the hormones that would affect your vocal development most are happening during puberty. Okay. Right? And during puberty, you're not always looking the same as you look as an adult, right? Right. I mean, actually, when I was going through puberty, do I have a fat voice, basically? I I don't think so. Would you think I was fat if I if you heard no, my voice? No, no. Because when I was going through puberty, I was overweight. I was way overweight as sure. a teenager. And now I'm not. I've lost weight by adopting a paleo lifestyle and mm-hmm. exercising and stuff like that. So, yay. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I've kept it off for over 10 years. Well, most of it, I've gained some back. But anyway, um, you know, I'm not overweight anymore. And but I was while my voice was developing. So did that actually give me this wonderful voice, which I now use for my work? I don't know. But if it did, that's great. (laughs) I'd like to think so, because it kind of like justifies all the pain that I went through growing up as a fat (laughs) kid. But, you know, it's not necessarily that's not necessarily the case just because I want some kind of justification for it doesn't mean it's true. But I just think it's it's really interesting. Um, so did the article have like any other markers that there somehow are. throw off? Yes. Um, there are a few. There are quite a few studies on voice attractiveness, says um, a, per, um, a postdoc at the University of Sussex, who I'm not even going to try to pronounce her name, and I'm not even sure if it's a her. Sorry, Katerzyna. Uh, <laughs> less attention has been paid to body size and specific acoustic parameters. That is, what are the components of the voice that communicate our appearance? To probe this question... This postdoc and her colleagues recorded the voices of 700 people from Germany, Canada, or the UK as they spoke a series of vowels. Ditching words that allowed the researchers to isolate the voice's acoustics, including pitch, formants, and elements of unevenness in the voice that called jitter and shimmer, the the more of either, the rougher or raspier the voice. Then they observed how well these vocal aspects correlated with height, waist-to-hip ratio, and chest-to-hip ratios, body mass index, and other indicators of appearance. The result, says the postdoc, (laughs) is a more complex story than we would have thought. Certain vocal features predicted body shape and size. Formants, measures of resonance. So resonance is, I guess, the inside the chamber of your head mm-hmm. you know you have the soft palate right so yeah. that's like a like a ceiling of a cathedral where the sound is coming out of your larynx and out of your mouth and also resonating around in your nasal cavities and stuff like that right all of those things could be affected by body fatness um formants measures of resonance are determined by the length of a speaker's vocal tract and this person found that they were the best also the best correlates of a person's height and weight that is Longer vocal tract lengths, which lead to a more resonant voice, were more likely among taller and heavier individuals. So that makes sense, right? Yeah, I could see that. Like when I'm doing an audiobook character and it's it's a, a heavy set person or if it's a, a tall person, you want to make their voice sound really deep. <laughs> I can't go deeper. <laughs> really deep. Real deep. That's just raspy. Yeah. Um, and of course, like when it's a kid... <laughs> you you want to like really cr- crunch up your your vocal stuff and and you kind of make it sound like that. So so science has more or less proven what what a lot of people kind of already <laughs> think, right? Yeah, this that's kind of a stupid study, right? Like you could have probably guessed that, right? Well, you could guess it, but I mean, this is what you wouldn't guess here: a lower waist to hip ratio among women, as well as a higher chest to hip ratio. So a lower waist-to-hip ratio means they don't have the hourglass. It's more straight down. Okay. Okay. Uh, As well as a higher chest-to-hip ratio among men, which means V-shaped, 
were also linked with higher levels of vocal perturbation or roughness, that is, jitter and shimmer. So if they have a more of a raspy voice, that's the, for women, they're more likely to be straight down, like, oh. a, like a boxy figure. Okay. And for men, they're more likely to be V-shaped. This means women with, oh, right. This means women with more masculine body shapes have smoother voices, which could hypothetically be due to relatively high levels of testosterone among these women. Overall, there were more vocal correlates of women's body proportions than men's. Given the nature of the study, it's impossible to explain why, but this person suggests that it has to do with natural selection and communicating reproductive fitness. In terms of what we know about the importance of women's body shape, it would make sense to have more information on height in men's voices and body shape in women's voices, she says. So, Did, yep. Wait, so so women with so which one says they're more ready? So she's um uh so it, for men you know, to copulate. <laughs> well, I think that's when they say you want to fuck. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, they can say it, but like but like you know, what do you hear in the voice? The, so the, for men, um, the desirable trait would be to be taller, I guess. Hmm. Height would be the attractive quality. So that's communicated more with a deep by voice. their voices. Yes, yeah, with okay. a deep voice. Yeah. And then <laughs> for women, having a curvy figure is more desirable because that means hormones to support pregnancy. And so curvy women sound Fertility. like... I don't know. Um, curvy women sound smoother. Or not no, no like not you. smooth raspy curvy women oh, sound raspy, sound raspy. That's what it says basically I think <laughs> anyway <laughs> see now or go ahead if you have one more. more thing this is interesting this is like the last thing I want to read from this but anyway levels of hormones may underlie these vocal physical correlates higher testosterone for instance is shown to affect vocal cord development during puberty and it's also related to lower pitch in men's voices yeah have you ever known any trans men. No. Because when they take testosterone, oh, well, their vo- voices will start to get deeper sometimes. Nah, yeah. okay. Um, I mean, sometimes they do vocal coaching, too. But it's it's hard if you're a trans woman to talk well, like yeah. a woman, you know, if you if you have gone through puberty with the male hormones. But if you're a trans man, it's a little bit easier, I think, to make your voice get lower than it is to be, like, higher and more feminine. Anyway. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, it's, there's a, it's a really interesting thing too, when you're doing audiobooks. like a lot of newbie narrators, and I totally did this too, until I learned about this. Um, a lot of newbie narrators will do these just pitch shifts as like the only thing. So like if it's a male that's doing a female voice, mm-hmm. he'll make all the female voices sound <laughs> like this, Yeah, you know, cause they'll just try to change the pitch, but there's more to a woman's voice than the pitch, right? It's sometimes they elongate the S's a little bit. Sure. Like to sound more feminine, right? Like like this. Yeah. I, yeah. It, right? And if a man did that, it might sound a little gay, right? Yep. Oh, honey, what a sex pot. <laughs> you know, like a little lispy maybe. And with male voices, female narrators who are trying to do male voices will often just shift the pitch down and I'll try to talk like this, you know, but there's more to a male voice than just the pitch, the low pitch. There's also men tend to speak sharper, more staccato. Yeah. The end of word is more final. And then also they tend to move their mouth less when talking. And they sometimes you get like a man of few words where they really don't say much at all, except you are so hot. I just want to take you right here. Oh, I've been doing too many romance books. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> well, I mean, it's all very interesting. I mean, I've heard I've heard a lot of different stories about certain you know ways that voices have evolved. Um, like apparently, a very deep, uh, deep pitched voice uh, won't register. Like if a woman's sleeping, um, she won't. It won't. It, like it won't disrupt her sleeping. As to where if it's a higher pitch, like they've kind of evolved for that to wake them oh, up. Oh, like so the baby wakes them up? Something along those lines. I've heard these. I, I don't. Yeah, I've heard that too. And I've also heard that men actually tune out higher frequency voices. Like, so basically it's a study that's meant to justify the idea that men don't listen to women when nah, they're talking. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think that is probably more of a cultural thing than like a. Well, there's a lot of things in a voice that are cultural, like a gravelly voice. I don't think that that ever naturally evolved. That just came from, you know, honestly, alcohol. 
consumption. Uh, I, I mean, alcohol and cigarettes. Yeah, those well, because were you'll get it. Like I, I think, sauce. right? Well, I think you know, alcohol and cigarettes and all that. Like I think that actually it creates almost a uniform sound uh, to where I know men and women that sound exactly alike by the time they're forty, and it's because. Hmm. You know, maybe they weren't making the best health choices. Yeah. I mean, no judgment. I'm just saying. Uh, Now, this is another interesting thing. Did you know that women's monthly hormonal cycles can influence their voices? And this is actually, I have tested this because I have voice recordings of myself every day. The pitch actually goes up a little bit when they ovulate. And I have, there have been times when I swore I was somewhere and I was ovulating. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there were guys that I could just, they knew. I know they well, knew. I was going to say, I They didn't even it. know they knew, it. but yeah, yeah, and you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> What's in a voice? There's more coming up. Boy, how did that segment get over it already? We're doing a little bit of a little bit shorter show today. Because it's actually going to be physically shorter or like literally shorter. Yes. Maybe we should just like slow down our voices. I don't know. All right, let's keep rocking. Let's keep rocking. Okay, so now it's time for sex. Okay, that's um, great. Study finds that almost half of men last about two minutes in bed. What? <laughs> this is bad news. Study finds that half of men lasted two minutes in bed. Research conducted by Dr. Harry Fish. What a name here, huh? <laughs> this is, by, by the way, by Sean Raimundo from the Latin Post. All right, so right out of the gate, like, how did they perform this? Because, well, we'll see. I don't know. I haven't read it yet. I just okay. read the headline. <laughs> well, I just want to say, like, first off, that uh-huh. if you're going to put me, like, in a, you know, if I was signing up for for an experiment, you know, uh-huh. okay, we're going to need to test how long you last and all this stuff. <laughs> like, that is already going to, I'm not saying, I mean, and I don't mean to boast, I'm going to last longer than two minutes, all right? But I'm just saying that is going to very much, like, shorten the amount of time that I quote unquote last. And of course, what does last mean? Wait, but wait a minute. Like if I'm an experimental, what, if you were nervous, wouldn't you last longer? Because I'm not going to be nervous. <laughs> this is going to be hot. Oh, I'm, a, I'm in the wanna, human zoo, baby. You want to be a lab rat. I, I am an experiment. It's like, <laughs> we need to know, can you handle this? You know I mean? And, and it's just, it's going to turn up the excitement level on me to no end. All right. And, and, you know, and also like, what is, what does last mean? I mean, I want to get into this article, but what does last mean? Because like, is it, you mean, that's how long before the first time that I come? Before the first time and then they fall asleep. Oh, you see, that's the thing. I don't fall asleep. <laughs> no, you don't. That's no. a cool thing about you. Really don't. No, second time, third time. You're I mean, what are we go. talking about? All right. Anyway, and I'm I'm done boasting here. But it's yeah, not boasting if you can brag. brag it are up. you a type A? Is that why you last so long in bed, Brian? Uh, hey, um. some people have said that. But all right, let let's go with the article. Um, okay, so research dis- conducted by Dr. Harry Fish, which is published in his new book, The New Naked, The Ultimate Sex Education for Grownups. I, I feel like, are, could you check the date on this? It's, yes, it's April 28th, uh, 2014. Okay, because I was going to say, like, Harry Fish, you know. What What are you saying there? I'm just saying, Harry Fish, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's two stone throws away from a bearded clam. I don't... <laughs> Oh my God! That's that's what you think when you see this poor man's name. No, but when when in putting you know, when I had combi- a doctor named Gilfish when I was a kid. Well, that's not my problem, Doctor Fish. But, anyway, but when combined with a headline like that, and and the doctor's name is Harry Fish, I I gotta wonder. All right, go. Oh, uh, what did I? I saw another funny name. It was like Harry Beavers or something. I don't know. <laughs> like no joke. Like that was really someone's name. Anyway, I'm um, sorry to hear that. <laughs> Okay, so the new Naked, the ultimate sex education for grownups found that nearly half of all men last only two minutes in bed. He wrote that the average duration of sex lasts 7.3 minutes, but an astonishing 45% of men finish the act too quickly. Fish's research and findings are nearly accurate to those of famed sex researcher Alfred Kinsey, who concluded in the mid-20th century that three quarters of men climax in less than two minutes. I mean, in what situation, you know? Well, are they jerking off? Are they having sex? Are they getting oral sex? Like, what's going on there? According to the Republic, 
a 2004 paper found in the Journal of Sex Research, published by University of New Brunswick researchers, more men are concerned with lasting longer in in their performance than women are. The research team interviewed 152 heterosexual couples that had been together six months and 50 years, between six months and 50 years, and were between the ages of 21 and 77 years old. They asked couples to disclose their actual and desired duration of both foreplay and intercourse. According to the results, men's ideal duration for intercourse was much longer than their partner's ideal duration. In regards to foreplay, however, both sexes reported similar ideal length. Hmm. In his study, Fish claims that two minutes is, quote, way too speedy for the average woman to be able to have an orgasm through vaginal penetration alone. Well, who says you have to have vaginal well, penetration alone? That's what you? I was thinking. It's like, look, give yourself a hand. Yeah. Here's a real here's a real simple solution to this. It's like, yeah. OK, so you only last two minutes. Well, then eat her pussy for an hour. <laughs> right. You, know? you like, can do that for as long as you want. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to harm anything. Do that. You know, make sure she gets off. And then if it's two minutes, it's two minutes. <laughs> oh, Eat here's an interesting all study. Time. All right, go ahead. A Swedish study offered one solution to guys that are too quick on the draw. <laughs> the researchers found improvements in men's average ejaculation time after completing 12 weeks of pelvic floor exercises. You know what that is? That's when you squeeze your asshole and your yeah. penis. <laughs> so, so yeah, I've seen like guys, you know, tantric yoga stuff where they recommend oh, like right. practicing that like you clench your little you know your fist while you're standing on the bus or something like that it's I, not your fist I, honey i've heard about well <laughs> i mean the, the clenching of your actual fist is supposed to be representative of the squeezing you're doing from in behind you know behind that's uh, just conf- i'm trying it right now for science and that just confuses me like nah. I, just, I can do the pelvic floor without doing anything else yeah anyway yeah, i understand that all right um, so those who practiced Kegels or Kegels or whatever, pelvic floor exercises for 12 weeks, they found that those ejaculation times, men whose ejaculation times were less than a minute and performed the exercises, had their average time rise from 31.7 seconds to 146.2 seconds. Oh, so bravo. wait, before they started doing these exercises, they would come in 30 seconds, literally 30. I don't think I've ever, <laughs> my minimum is probably like 90 seconds. I mean, Jesus Christ, to 146. So how much is 146 seconds? That's like a, a little over two minutes. Wow. Oh, good job. Two and a half minutes. They went from 30 seconds to two and a half minutes. And all this is self-reported? I don't know how they did I, these I'm studies. Amazed. This is really fishy. I mean, this is Well, notorious. yeah, it's by Harry Fish. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I've read that before that most heterosexual sex lasts from between 8 to 12 minutes, and that's, like, ideal for everybody. Everybody's, like, happy with that. What do you think, Brian? Um, like, the actual PIV sex penis and vagina yeah i yeah i mean but there's so much more to it so so all right here here's my thoughts on this mm-hmm. I, I, unless you have more you want to go on no tell um, me your thoughts I, I mean my thoughts on this whole thing is like how much of this is done by culture like you know we're talking the whole episode we've kind of been talking about evolutionary science um and like how things get chosen by evolution uh supposedly you know and this is an old story you know the average size of a man's penis is what five and a quarter like, yeah, around five and a half. Yeah, under six inches, mm-hmm. whatever. And yet, by self-report, a lot of people don't want that. Okay? Right. Gay guys and women. All right? I mean, you know. The, well, I, yeah, I don't know. Okay. I mean, I think guys think that women want bigger dicks than they actually want. Yeah, but I. I if, from what I've read. Sure. Uh, well, what do you, what do you want? <laughs> um, I want a variety pack, honestly. <laughs> Okay, what do you prefer? I don't have a... I mean, I come prefer... Come on, come on. Like, honestly, sometimes I just want a normal size Okay, you said thing, that to me. I dildo. Know. Yeah. And yours is actually... Well, like, to be completely honest, it's bigger uh, than normal. Uh, well, <laughs> like, yeah. that's kind of an understatement. Yeah. It's really big. Okay. And that's not always ideal. I, sometimes it's great. Fair enough. But and for I... certain activities, uh, you know, the normal size one is better. Yeah, but... Right. And and you I appreciate you being honest with me about that in the past. I mean, but, I love yours and everything. I just, you know, variety is always good. Sometimes you'd Spice like something life. smaller. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't mean I'm going to does not mean I'm looking for guys. Yeah, Please you are not do asking not misinterpret- for I'm not I do not I'm not looking for men. Yeah. 
Thank you. Okay. So now, but here's my point is that a lot of, I mean, I've personally heard, and and so I guess I'm running off of some anecdote here, but I have an overarching theory. Mm -hmm. Okay. A lot of women want something larger than what is apparently the average. According to this study we just read, a lot of women want guys that go longer than what the average is. You know, they Mm -hmm. want them going more than two minutes, whatever. Yeah. But guys think they want a guy to go even longer than that. Okay. But here, here's the thing is that so much of, I think, quote unquote, evolution and, you know, evolutionary desirable traits have been thrown out the window because of the last maybe hundred years um, of culture. Oh, there's so many factors. Or I mean, when you grow up on porn or circumcision even affects yeah. it and all this. Yeah, there's yeah. all this stuff. I mean, not even a hundred years because, I mean, you know, for evolutionary traits to even take hold, that, that takes, you know, thousands or centuries, whatever. Okay. But my point being is that you know, it's tough to say, well, you know, because of evolution, sex should be this and this and this when there's so much like conservative bullshit or, or just, you know, just civilization, you know, civilized bullshit um, that that's been, you know, put upon people. Yeah. I don't think anybody's saying it should be this or that. They're just trying to figure out like what people are saying that they're claiming to want people who live today, you know, with sure. whatever influences they might've had from culture. Sure. But I'm, I'm saying like, Okay, so, and and I'm not insulting anybody. I mean, penis size, whatever, okay? But, like, if the average is less than what people want, how the hell did it end up being the norm? Like, how how did it end up being the average? Like, like where, what's, you know, chicken and the egg? What, what came first? Right. You know what I mean? Was it just that, well, it's all bullshit that people want larger? Or is it somehow that, like, you know, via, I don't know, inbreeding or something? I mean, how many people are related to Genghis Khan, right? Right. And, you know, like like somehow just just royalty spread, you know, uh, a much significantly smaller penis. Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, I just saw this thing that um, it was an archaeologist, I think, that had this theory that, um, well, they were asking the question of why do all these famous statues like David, you know, Michelangelo, ah, David, why do they have such small penises? Because their penises are really small. Right. And the idea was that actually... In those times in Rome, um, having a large penis was like a symbol of stupidity and being out of control and being ruled by like these base desires. Having a small penis was seen as like aesthetically pleasing and uh. like virtue, like you're not ruled by your dick. You know, you're making decisions with your mind instead of your body, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so there you have it. Like, yeah. like so much culture. And you made con- a good case for that. Sure. Culture controls so much. Yeah, it does. Uh, in, in, you know, in positive and negative ways. I mean, you know, both ways that, that, that it swings. <laughs> and I just think that's important to bring up because like when you want to start bringing in all the science and everything, sometimes you just need to take a good hard look at culture and a you can get your, look. you can get answers. But that said, you know, I mean, if, uh, if, if a large penis is, is synonymous with baser desire as well. Who am I to argue with baser desires? <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, so, Brian, yeah. <laughs> New Hampshire ninth graders subjected to graphic smut. That's whoa, the headline whoa, whoa, from Clash whoa. Daily. I am not comfortable with that conversation going from that to ninth grader. <laughs> okay. Well, well, whatever. I was a ninth grader. I, everybody was once, yeah. I suppose, if unless you were homeschooled or unschooled, which if you were, good for you. Yeah. But. This is just kind of funny. Um, we're moving on to another story now. That's why I said that. Okay. Um, and basically, I, I have to be honest here. We are going through some older show prep right now. I yeah. have new show prep, but I wanted to get some... I wanted to rotate the stock. You know what I mean? No, that's good. <laughs> I had all this old show prep that's timeless. So, you know, I think whatever. that's great. I have so, do it. Yeah, I have so much show prep for my own show, Sovereign Tech, mm-hmm. uh, that I will just never, ever get to. But it's all great <laughs> stuff, and it's such a pity. I know. So I think it's great that we're getting through it. Let's do it. Well, this was just funny. So anyway, um, this is from The Clash Daily. Um, and we're from New Hampshire, so that's why we're talking about this. We're <laughs> Because I just think it's really funny that it took place in right here in little old New Hampshire. Yay. Graphic. Here's the smut that the New Hampshire ninth graders were subjected to. Guilford, New Hampshire. William Bear has encountered some eyebrow-raising policies and practices during his children's years in public school, but he still wasn't prepared for what he discovered last Wednesday night. That was the night Bear learned that his 14-year-old daughter had been assigned to read a novel that contained a passage so sexually explicit that he described it as pornographic. 
The novel, 19 Minutes by Jody Picoult, is a controversial book that tells the story of a fictional school shooting and the people it affects. Here's an excerpt from the explicit passage. Okay, here we go. All right. Erotic audiobook time. Here, you get this for free. Nice. <laughs> Warning, graphic. Relax. Oh, wait. Do <laughs> me. Relax, Matt murmured. Then he sank his teeth into her shoulder. He pinned her hands over her head and ground his hips against hers. She could feel his erection hot against her stomach. She couldn't remember ever feeling so heavy, as if her heart were beating between her legs. She clawed at Matt's back to bring him closer. Yeah, he groaned and pushed her thighs apart. Then, suddenly, Matt was inside her, pumping so hard that she scooted backwards on the carpet, burning the backs of her legs. He clamped his hand over her mouth and drove harder and harder until Josie felt him come. Semen, sticky and hot, pooled on the carpet beneath her. That's the passage. <laughs> well. Understandably. <laughs> that, that is Baroness graphic. His daughter exposed to this kind of material and says the school has no business introducing such themes. I kind of agree. That's kind of like, I mean, that's what happens when you send your kid to public school. You can't really control what they read. And she's probably reading worse stuff on the Internet. But that is pretty uh, like not I would say not very appropriate for ninth grade students. Well, school's do, inappropriate. Do a book report on but, that, right? Yeah, school's yeah. inappropriate. Exactly. So, um, wow. Yeah, that was like a little, a little weird and creepy, don't you think? Yeah, maybe I, it was weird of me to read it like that. But hopefully, like, no ninth graders I guess are listening I would to feel, our show. If, if don't I, listen to our show. We have a disclaimer. Yeah, if I were a teacher, mm-hmm. I wouldn't feel comfortable handing a book with that kind no, of content. That's weird to a student. Yeah, that's that's where it lies for me. Not saying well, anyway. Yeah, I am completely in agreement. But you know what? We have a short show today, so I want to move on. I've got one more sex article that I think is pretty good. Nice. All right, let's do it. Ready? A comprehensive guide of what to eat and what not to eat before sex. This is from Nerve, which I I have literally been reading Nerve since I was a ninth grader, actually. Wow. All right. Nerve is like an an awesome, sexy magazine. But anyway, um, I probably wasn't supposed to be reading it back then, but it was um, it's it's been around for quite a while. Nerve turns 18. There we go. (laughs) They have that at the top of their website. Okay. so anyway, this is by Caroline Perkins. Everything you need to enhance or systematically destroy the mood. It has long been a theory of mine, she says, that the amount of nachos you eat per day has a direct positive (laughs) correlation to how good you are at sex stuff. Did you just make that up because you like nachos, you might ask? No, I read it in a book somewhere. I would reply, you're being crazy. In what came as a slap in the face to the fried food-loving community, Elite Daily recently published a list of foods you should avoid if you want a better sex life. And the list systematically details all the most delicious foods ever created. But apparently, eating these types of foods raises the blood glucose level, which leads to fatigue, tiredness, and a lower sex drive. I mean, that's just a no-brainer, right? Like, yeah. don't go into a carb coma if you think you're going to have sex, right? Okay, so is that pretty much what they're going to say? It's not like anything that's actually um, libido-enhancing? Okay, so what not to eat is just like all these basically gross food, like unhealthy foods. Okay, soda, burgers and hot dogs, french fries, mixed drinks, ice cream, breakfast biscuits, uh, and game day food like nachos. I kind of call horseshit on that because <laughs> I, I've, I, I've, I've had some of my best times after just eating some of that food. In fact, being in places <laughs> where that kind of food gets made. Uh, I, 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 oh, you worked fast food and you yeah, would take the women into the meat locker, right? Well, or not something. the meat locker. That sounds terrible. <laughs> it's a walk-in <laughs> cooler. And, that and, does sound terrible. And you You're don't right, know until you try it. <laughs> the meat locker. <laughs> sound like I'm some kind of murderer. <laughs> Jesus. All right. So what are the good foods? Because I can actually give some tips on foods to eat, you know, to, to, to help out with, with sex. <laughs> Okay, so the good foods are, oh, this is so like, this is so like, I'm an organic vegan yoga (laughs) teacher and I shop at Whole Foods and I'm going to improve my sex life. (laughs) All right, what do we got? Walnuts, beans, specifically kidney beans, peanuts, sunflower, and pumpkin seeds. What, so you're going to fart? Before you, come on. No, they're rich in arginine, which uh, improves female desire, satisfaction, and frequency of sex. All right. What else we got? Mediterranean foods. 
Oh, for the hard Mediterranean health. diet. Oh, and that's it. It's a short list. It's only yeah, well, three you, things. <laughs> as far as I know, Jesus ate the Mediterranean diet, and he didn't sleep with anybody. Well, he, he just wasn't taking. He just wasn't using it. Yeah, he could have if he uh, wanted to. Anyway, so here's some real. Here, how about you, Stephanie? Do you have any like like uh, food tips for our listeners? I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, no. I, I can't think of any food that affects it either way. All right. I can. Okay. So Lay it on me. So there's two. If you're a guy, I can't speak for women. Okay. But this <laughs> oh, is, I know what you're going to say. This will help yeah. with uh-huh. women. One of them helps. <laughs> pineapple or pineapple juice will make your semen taste better. Right, because semen contains a lot of fructose. Right. And and pineapple, any fruit really, but pineapple's a pineapple's very rich source of fructose. Yeah, it's very dense. Uh-huh. As far It'll as make that goes. it taste uh, sweet. Yeah, and do this about an hour before, you know, or some, you know, at least where you have 20 minutes beforehand. So you can do that. That'll make it taste better, okay? And then the other thing you do, if you if you want to increase the volume, so you're you're so you're you're making the taste better and now you can increase the volume. You eat a whole bag of celery, the whole thing. And I heard this from Peter North and I'm telling you, I'm telling you it works. And, and I think Stephanie can actually attest, uh, to like, I mean, I mean, you, you will shoot across the room. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've talked about this on Sovereign well, Tech. Celery, got... Okay. Celery contains, um, nit- oh God, nitrates, naturally occurring nitrates, like the kind that's used to preserve bacon, okay. but they're naturally occurring. Yeah. And so does beet, actually. You got to have and the whole bag, though. What happens is, beet? Uh, maybe. All right, all right. Yeah, beet. Like, beet it. Yeah. All right. Not beet off, not beet it. Oh, beet root. Okay, Like the gotcha. red stuff. Right. I hate the taste of beets, but anyway. Um, yeah, beets contain um, natural nitrates, too, which in your body help your body produce nitric oxide. Yeah. And nitric oxide is a vasodilator, which it is the same thing that Viagra does, right. essentially. So you're dilating your blood vessels, improving your overall circulation all around your body. But that has a side effect of, I guess, making I mean, <laughs> making your dick better. <laughs> yeah, it's like a rocket and it blows up like the Challenger. I mean, it, it, it is. So- <laughs> oh, my God. That's not cool. And, and no. And it's uh, you can you can have peanut butter with it as well. And it's it's it, the, the effects the same. Oh, so, okay. Thanks, uh, Doctor Sovereign. Just <laughs> glad we asked about that. Hey, if that list wasn't going to deliver the goods, in no. fact, I questioned some of it. <laughs> I was going to make sure that our listeners walked away with some actionable, uh, uh, you know, material. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Okay. Well, I think that's going to do it for us tonight here on Sex and Science Hour. But stay tuned. We got an after show coming. Yeah, up, do a little we? after show. All, All right. right. Eat your celery. Say, take your vitamins. Say your prayers. Eat your celery and. Beets drink your pineapple and drink juice. Drink your pineapple juice, and we'll Ooh. see you next week. And don't call me in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week. Our pelvic floor exercises that we dutifully were. during that, weren't we? Yeah. <laughs> time for a little after show. It's time. That's going right. to be a little bit of a shorter one. Yeah, that's. Yeah, because we got plans tonight. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't mean to give just... anybody the shaft, but wait. That was the law. <laughs> you mean to give me the shaft, don't you? <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say we have a life. You know, we got we got other stuff to do besides the show. But when yeah. you shop through our Amazon link at stuff.sexandsciencehour.com, it really helps us because then we can 
uh, get money from the stuff that we talk about, and you can be on our after show. Yeah, it's value and it helps for value. Motivate us to do the show. Yeah, it's value <laughs> for value, and I want to say thank you. I appreciate like. I mean, people are really using this link. Yeah, and it's awesome. Yeah, even though this is going to be a shorter after show, um, you know, it's not because there aren't things to talk about. We're just going to save it for another week. Yeah, we got uh, a lot of awesome stuff damn. this yeah. week. Um, so we're really grateful to anybody who uses it. And I think I know some of the people uh, because we got told. Yeah, some um, people told us. Yes, yeah, so we we did get informed about certain things. Uh, yeah, that come to fi- purchase through this link. Come to find out, some people buy things through our link just, just because they want so us to talk we'll about talk, it. Yeah, like they want our opinion about it. And that's speaking of which, we found out who the Hans Hermann Hoppe mystery buyer was from yeah. last week. Thank you. That's <laughs> he actually a bitch. told no, us I'm that kidding. he he trolled <laughs> us. He told us that he told us that he bought that book just so we would talk about it and talk about what we thought about it. Yeah, no, he's a good did. guy. He's last week and we love him and yeah thank you very much um and we actually met another listener this week in person because he was going to be in town we had dinner yes he was awesome i wasn't sure what to expect you know you never are when you don't know someone but he turned out to be super cool i had a great time yeah real sweetheart of a guy so um yeah that was really cool and then one of the things one of the things on this list is a thing that i think he bought because he told us that he bought it Uh anyway we'll let you guess what that is though because you're always anonymous when you use our Shop, uh, sorry, stuff.sexandsciencehour.com link. Stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Yep. And uh, so we only know who you are if you tell us, but we know what you bought or what somebody bought. So anyway, um, what did people buy this week? Oh, yeah. Well, well, first, before we say that, we actually got an email from Larry Page, Brian. Did you know that? From Larry Page. Yeah. Larry Page emailed us and I, he wants to talk about our Sex and Science Hour link. I think tongue was firmly in cheek. <laughs> And and this person <laughs> yeah. claimed to be Larry Page because of my infamous d- uh, disposition against Google. Of course, well, it's not only mine. Edward Snowden said the same damn thing. He warned about only two companies, and that was Facebook and Google. But, you know, why would anybody listen to me or him? Not, <laughs> not like we know anything. Anyway, go ahead. Um. Anyway, Larry Page says, Hello, I'm looking to buy from Amazon and would love to help you out with the affiliate URL. However, I'm wondering if you could answer this on a new episode at some point. And we we can, because we have no way to email you back, Larry Page, because you gave us Larry Page's email. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not talking to him. Anyway. He automatically sees Brian Sovereign, it just goes block. It's just <laughs> not getting through. He says, does smile.amazon.com interfere with affiliate links? I have my browser set up to always automatically change to smile so that my purchases also contribute to charity. If it does, then could I, I could control which purchases go through there. And which go through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. But if not, then it'd be great to know so that I don't have to do anything. So, and, yep, Brian? Yeah, as far as I know, mm-hmm. you cannot do both. Yeah, me too. That's um, what I was going to say. Yeah, and in fact, this is, I talked about this, and I'll be brief. I talked about this uh, like in the first episode, maybe, of Sovereign Tech, mm-hmm. where when people start getting used to ordering things through like through Alexa, through the Amazon Echo, mm-hmm. that is going to, that won't hurt Amazon Smile because your account defaults to that. Mm-hmm. But it will affect, um, like the everybody else's affiliate bookmarklet. You right. know, like that's going to be a real problem. So yeah, you can't you can't do the same. And I know it sucks because like I do. do just choose Amazon Frown. Okay, yeah. that's our program. <laughs> yeah, Amazon will be frowning because we'll get the affiliate commissions instead of them. <laughs> right. I mean, like when I order through Amazon, I you know I do Amazon Smile and it goes to the Tor project. Um, or I was. Oh, they have that option. Yeah. Or or you can send it. Me. Yeah, you can send it to um, uh, the company that does OuterNet as well, yep. Media something. I used to do them. Uh, so it's a pity. Maybe we need to set up an Amazon Smile. I don't know what that takes to do, but the answer is you cannot do both, as, as gotcha. far as I understand it. Okay. Well, that. Uh, thank you, Larry Page, for asking that question. Thank you Being so much. Being the CEO yeah. of Google, I thought you would know about that, but yeah. You know, everybody has questions. No question is too dumb well, for us. Well, it on just proves my point <laughs> that the Google search and that engine wasn't a dumb question sucks either. ass. Like, it just cannot give you a genuinely good answer. Get you, on that, Larry. Yeah, use DuckDuckGo <laughs> from now on. Thank you. Right. Okay. Um, do we have any other questions or emails to get to about that? I feel like we're missing something, but now I don't remember. Nah, that, that, I, I okay. think that's good. And, and, and by the way, I love. I thought it was very funny, the Larry Page thing. I, I did I, too. I, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so great. please go to, go to stuff.sexandsciencehour.com and and choose the frowny option. So anyway, what did people get this week? Let's do two well, items. How about two? 
Only two? Yeah, come on. Let's... Oh, okay. Well, I can save the rest for another show right, because we're going to do another show pretty soon. Okay. I know what I'm going to do for the for the two. These are also just like on top of the list. All right. But um, so, okay. One of them is Dr. Bronner's Magic Soaps, Pure Castile Soap, all one hemp almond five ounce bars. And it was a pack of six. So he, basically this person bought... A, a pack of Dr. Bronner's soap bars. Wow. I love Dr. Bronner's soap. And also, Dr. Bronner himself is a really cool old hippie. Yeah, see, I, Dr. Bronner go goes and camps out on the White House lawn with signs about legalized hemp and marijuana and all this stuff at, well, cannabis. I, I learned that marijuana is actually like a racist term because they were trying to make it sound like Mexican. You know, so, nah. Ooh, it's bad. It's like this Mexican drug that's going to, it's like crocodile. It's going to take over and, ki- and make white women sleep with brown <laughs> men. The horror. That's actually, you know, most people don't realize that. I mean, the very basis of the drug war is racism. Oh, absolutely. Straight up. It's so obvious. Like, I just heard a story where in Colorado, where they just legalized uh, cannabis, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's that's the, the popular conception, right? The arrests for cannabis related charges for white people went down yeah but for non-white people they went way up yeah no yeah it's crazy i mean and and there's there's plenty of of very open history about this that uh you know the the entire you know all of the laws against drugs was literally based around this fears that various minorities would start killing people and and all that's always i mean you don't even have to talk about drugs like look at what donald trump says yeah you know yeah that Muslims or Mexicans or whoever is going to come in and kill people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, good on, good on Dr. Bronner. Yeah. Right. Uh, I was going to crack a joke and say, cause doesn't Dr. Bronner, doesn't he put like, like a uh, Bible verses all over his stuff? Yes. But the, the only Bible verse I think he puts is the one about God created all the plants for humans to oh, use or something. Okay, right. That's okay. the only Bible verse yeah, I yeah. think he has. I was going to say, I know that's out there and I was going to crack a joke that I can't, you know, I can't wash with it because it makes like the soap the starts off. to boil and, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but no, yeah. You Dr. Bronner, great guy. water with it. That's the thing. That's well, that really boils when I, long story. All By right. the way, um, one more thing about the racist immigration thing. Yeah. Just, there was this mayor of Maine that got in deep shit recently because he said something like, there's all these immigrants like coming in and you'll see like a white girl with like a brown baby. And he, oh, he was basically yeah, yeah, saying yeah. like they're fucking our women. Yep. I remember hearing that. Because everybody in Maine pretty much is white, except if you're not from Maine. Those big schlongs. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then people were obviously really offended about yeah, that. It's, it's ridiculous. like, oh, come on. He's telling people who to fuck now. Okay, that's the governor's job. So anyway, um, Dr. Bronner's, enjoy your um, Dr. Bronner's soap. I use Dr. Bronner's soap. It's great, too, because I've got this, um, I've got this like allergic uh, dermatitis on my hands. Mm-hmm. Like certain th- soaps like really bother my hands. They make them all like flare up and the skin gets really itchy and it's no good. So I use like just, you know, natural soaps and Dr. Bronner's really does it for me. So. Right on. Keep your bodies clean and your minds dirty. All right. (laughs) And then, okay, here's another purchase. Have you ever seen this Facebook page called Humans of New York? Yes. It's basically like inspirational stories with like a picture of a colorful kind of person, which, you know, like you look at them and you're like, hmm, that person looks interesting. Mm -hmm. They probably have an interesting story to tell. Well, um, In uh, summer of 2010, photographer Brandon Stanton began an ambitious project to single-handedly create a photographic census of New York City. The photos he took and the accompanying interviews became the blog Humans of New York. In the first three years, the audience grew steadily from a few hundred to over a million. In 2013, his book Humans of New York, based on the blog, was published and immediately catapulted to the top of the New York Times bestseller list. And then it's it is a very popular Facebook page. You'll get millions of shares on these on these photos and. A lot of them are very compelling. It's really interesting. So somebody bought the Humans of New York hardcover edition. And th- this book is popular, too. It's got 12,090 customer reviews, and it's number one bestseller in travel photography. 
Wow. I mean, not that you have to travel to get to New York, because he's probably a New Yorker himself. But... Yeah, not that I'd recommend going to New York, but... Yeah. You know. I'm not a huge fan. I like it out here in the country. Yeah. Where all the women are white. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just totally kidding. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is an interesting blog. Uh, I imagine the book is fantastic. Um, you know, and I know there's lots of great people that live in New York. I mean, I, I grew up there and in the city as well as upstate, but... Uh, it, yeah, it's not my not my kind of town, but I could definitely dig reading a book about it. So right on. Anyway. So since I'm only allowed to pick two items, that's right. It's like naked and afraid. You only get two items. That is an awesome show. We'll have to talk about we'll that talk on about the show that in at the some future. point. Yeah, but I okay. Since I was only allowed to pick two items from the list, we'll cover the other ones next week. But what I wanted to say was, I have to talk about my one purchase before we go. Okay, I recently got a body brush. Now, this is ah. such hippie shit. It's unbelievable. But <laughs> I have heard... So there are some people who recommend brushing your body. And actually, specifically, the way I heard about this was because I found a really hot, sexy video on YouTube, of all places, mm-hmm. where this woman, she's like some kind of like... I don't know if she's like Spanish or Italian or something. She's some kind of like Mediterranean woman, which is like my my type. Mm-hmm. And she's talking about how to not get breast cancer. And she's like, Oh, I know this video. Use the body brush and uh, brush your breasts with this. Yeah, I'll show you how to do it. I love this brush. And then she she takes this brush and she's like brushing her breasts and her armpits. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is so hot. (laughs) And that was just like one thing, one suggestion to avoid to take care of your breasts. Yeah. She had other things to make them like more perky too. And uh, most of them involved like touching them. I love helping with this. So I got a body brush not just for my breasts i'd used it on my legs and my arms and every part of my body and it just felt really damn good yeah. in addition to supposedly increasing circulation and lymph flow so body brushing who knew this is sex and science hour and thank you for tuning in we'll see you next week <laughs>